You don't have time to learn anything, but at least you can have a sense of mission. I got these for you. Dead Poets Society, Stand and Deliver. Each one, a portrait of a great teacher told by Hollywood. Played by stars, each one paid more than a teacher makes in a million lifetimes. I always cry at the end of Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Mr. Chips is my name for my Fritos. Just watch the movies. Words and ideas can change the world. Oh, look at the world. It just did a boom boom in its pants. You, you change it. Go to the wood shop and make yourself a push broom. You're gonna need it. It's not a tumor. Oh, they were great. They inspired me. And the best part is where they show the real guy over the credits. He looks just like the actor, but fatter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Early Childhood Perspectives. I'm your host, William Cook. I'm a preschool teacher to IC in a long daycare service. And this podcast is dedicated to looking at the often overlooked concepts, issues, and anything else we come across in the Australian early year sector. Now, I'm going to go off the bat and say this topic gets a lot of attention. And the only reason I'm really looking at it I just felt that lately, I, I this year I've been in a preschool room and I've done preschool before, but for some reason I've just learned so much about creating an effective classroom. And a lot of it's been through trial and error. But um, yeah, I just thought it'd be really cool to kind of talk about some tips I've picked up from my experience. Um, I guess I want to start with, we all come and we all bring our own background. We all are governed by philosophies or theories or, you know, some practitioner who has actually shaped our practice. And before we even get into the tips I've kind of picked up, I want us to consider what drives you, what practitioner, what theory, what whatever drives you. I am driven heavily by Reggio Emilio. I've got to be honest, though, I thought Reggio Emilio was kind of learning environments I'm starting to realize it's so much more, it's projects, it's community involvement, but I am governed very heavily by um, learning environments. I feel like learning environments give children the opportunity to learn numerous things just through playing with a resource that they can learn social skills, especially open-ended, aesthetically pleasing um, resources that can really push the children's learning and that if we really focus on these learning environments, we can really push these children to, um, you know, through observations, through scaffolding, through really introducing something new, we can really push children and really kind of encourage their learning. Now, I'm going to say that that's me. I come from that perspective. I also come from a relationship that um, early education is built heavily on relationships that there's lots of research that shows positive relationships help children feel at home, feel belonging, literally shape the brain tissue to for later life. That these positive relationships can actually help the children's learning, develop the brain now for a later life. I also come from something called the maturation theory. Now this is odd. It's not odd, but I understand why people don't like it. But essentially, I'm the maturation theory has a series of developmental milestones that children will hit at a certain age. 
Now, I take very loosely from this because I know each child is unique, but I think it is good to have a framework, a framework that is evidence-based and it's kind of governed by medical professionals. I think it is good to actually have a framework that we can look at and go, are they hitting these milestones? Are they doing this? Are they... So that's my perspective. That's what I'm driven by. And I think it's important before we even... Sorry, you can hear my cat in the background. Before we even um, get into this, I think it's really important to think, what are you driven by? Because this is really important. Um, something I've been struggling with is, you know, I work with someone who's big on intentional teaching and teachable moments. So I come from a... We're coming from two very different backgrounds and kind of negotiating that. And so it's really, once you know what governs you, you can work better in partnership with others. And we're now after six months, and I think that's how long it really takes to get to know someone and to work in partnership with someone. We're only now starting to kind of work out the strengths and benefits to each other. But I feel like the biggest thing I could say to creating, tip number one, to creating an effective classroom is positive guidance and encouragement. I talked briefly about before relationships. I feel like if we frame things in a way that is positive in a lot of our interactions with children, and I, I'm not saying we don't have boundaries. I think boundaries are incredibly important. But if we actually frame it, instead of saying don't run, we use phrases like walk. You know, If we can actually twist it and put it in a more positive light, it ensures that the negative, it ensures the attention we give children isn't negative. And I still think you can use positive guidance quite strongly. You know, when you negotiate with children, if a child hits another child, you get to their level and discuss why they did that and really seek to do it in a positive way. Because something that I've been struck by is how much attention, how much children do just for the sake of attention and to push boundaries. So if you do positive guidance i hope you can overcome a lot of it i'm only starting to really get into that i've um i was very much acted almost like my mom in my teaching practice not that she did do positive guidance but i'm starting to learn to use that more as a technique and encouragement i just feel ties strongly into um scaffolding assessing the children's learning and then pushing it through praise through, not praise, but through that encouragement to really get children to think, um, well, not think, but to really just encourage them what they're doing. A big one of I've been focusing is packing like their room and just really, instead of always focusing on the negative, which is so easy, really encouraging them when they do a great job and picking up particular children and really encouraging them. Um, my second point is engaging place spaces. And each classroom's unique. I've just been blown away by this like my classroom I have a girl in a wheelchair I have a boy on the spectrum and that means that I can't have lots of a crazy amount of resources I've got to bring it back I also need to make sure that um, there's clear pathways within my classroom now I went next door they have a smaller space they've got a lot more resources because it fits their environment but in both classrooms we have engaging play spaces we have resources that are changed often. And again, I was doing it weekly, but it really depends on your classroom, what works for you, how long you need to change. For me, engaging play spaces means that children are actively involved, that is pushing their learning, that is encouraging their learning, that they're able to, it, it tackles more than just one developmental domain. Construction shouldn't only push 
cognitive ability. It should help dramatic playability. It should do a whole wide range of different things. Um, and the only way to really push and to develop and to extend our play spaces is through observation. Assess how the children are using it. My third point is take advantage of teachable moments. Um, we talked briefly about the anti-bias approach. I do this all the time. Take advantage of the statements that children say um, to really kind of teach them a lesson or to grab them about something, you know. If children are starting to count, you know, one, two, three, four, really look to teach that in a way that, you know, really count with them. Count up to 50, count up to 30, count up to 100. Do what you need to do. Now, I know you guys have come across this before, so I don't need to go drill on about, but just take advantage of those teachable moments, those moments. You know, a big one for me is the boy table, girl table thing. I take those moments and I use it to teach about inclusion. No, it's not a girl table. It's it's everyone. Everyone can sit at this table. Um, finally, and this has been the biggest one, is fantastic intentional teaching moments. I've never been a big structure person. I think the learning environment is so important. But I've been specially, I've learned big time this year, most, a lot with preschoolers. And I've got to admit, this probably has a preschooler slant, but I'm hoping you can apply it to everything, you know. But I've been doing preschool for the last year. But I fear sometimes things can become boring in routine. And I know routine is very important for children. I'm not saying we should forget that. But I'm just saying that use those intentional teaching moments to really do some fantastic stuff. Make volcanoes, shoot rocket ships, use recycled cardboard to make a massive building. This is the stuff that requires planning, thought, consideration. And when we do it, we can do things that just are out of the ordinary. I remember once I put, I came in early, I put treasure, because the kids were into treasure maps, in the sand pit. And then the children, the excitement, you could see it was out of the ordinary for them. It was awesome. And it was only because I'd really put in that intentional planning and teaching. Anyway, that's my tips for how to create an effective classroom. Thank you so much for listening and see you in a fortnight's time. If you're still keen, now there's time for news. Hello and welcome to the news. This is where we kind of just tackle little things that um, popped up, especially in relation to our community of listeners and subscribers. Share this bad boy around. Please rate and review us. Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher now, which I'll put more information within our Facebook group, which is in the show notes. Um, we also have an upcoming live event, more details on our Facebook group. And I really encourage you to kind of tackle that and to support it because I think that would be a really great way to share our community. I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Um, this podcast, yeah, it's my voice speaking, but feel free to submit anything you want. I've often talked about topics that people have shared with me. So if there's something you want to talk about, share it with me. Even if you have a little recorded dialogue, I can chuck it in the podcast. It's so easy for me. Finally, just because um, I know a big part, some people have said they've liked the kind of hearing about my journey and where I've gone. So, um, you know, you guys heard about me becoming a 2IC. This week, um, my director's been away, so I've taken on that role, which has been really scary. But um, I really encourage anyone, if you have the opportunity, to just take that plunge because 
one, I'm out of my comfort zone. And I've got to be honest, it's stressful. I'm loving it, but it is really stressful. Um, I'm loving focusing on the micro stuff and the parent interactions and just the admin and to be honest, even a little bit getting away from the room. But um, it's been awesome. It's kind of given me a perspective about what the director does and it's been really cool to kind of, I hope it's actually taught me so much about um, my teaching practice just now. I, it makes me see the wider picture and why we do stuff and how to back up what I do on a policy level. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And again, I'll see you next fortnight.